Hi, this is Emma from platelessordinary.com. I'm a writer, editor, and someone who loves listening to podcasts. You're listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. I'm Wendy Sheridan, and you are listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. And hi, I'm Robin Renee. Welcome to episode 112. This season, we have been exploring the theme of acceptance in our featured interview segment. We've been talking to guests about various aspects of acceptance, of like acceptance of self, such as like body acceptance and gender, accepting others from different walks of life, and looking into things we just can't accept without a fight, like climate change. And in this episode, we'll feature my conversation with Emma of Plate Less Ordinary. And that's a great website where she shares stories about food, culture, and technology. We talk about how food can foster understanding and help bring us together. I'm looking forward to uh, you guys listening to that because I listened to it already. And you talk about a restaurant that was really near and dear to my heart. (laughs) <laughs> you didn't know about. I spent so much time in there and it made me very excited to hear about it. Anyway. That's great. Awesome. <laughs> and before that interview, Robin and I will head into the blanket fort for an emotional check-in. You can catch a new episode of The Leftscape every other Wednesday. Subscribe to the show on our website, leftscape.com, or find us wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you sign up for automatic downloads so you never miss a show. Our download numbers are have been growing, which is absolutely fantastic. And let's keep it going. Yes, yes. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Leftscape. And if you want to be a little bit extra for us, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And when you're over on our website to check out our show notes, sign up for our monthly-ish newsletter, which is now woefully late. I'm really sorry to our subscribers, <laughs> <laughs> but you will get you will get our newsletters. And it's called the Leftscape Lookout. So please do sign up. We 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 do put them out, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> and join us over on Patreon for extra content. Becoming a patron helps us keep making this show better. If you join us at the front row seats level at just $1 a month, you can check out our patron segment, We Should Be Recording This. $3 a month backstage pass supporters receive a thank you package of exclusive swag and early access to forthcoming events. We have levels for all budgets, and we really appreciate your support. Our most recent We Should Be Recording This post is, what did you do during the great Facebook outage? (laughs) It was terrible. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) We're going to check in now. Um, I guess I'll go first. We're recording this Monday. Election day is the day is tomorrow, uh, the day before we release this show. And I will be working the polls locally tomorrow. And I'm excited and a little nervous. It's only because the poll workers, we have to have masks on, but the voters do not necessarily have to be masked. And everybody I bring this up to, and especially when I was getting my booster shot on Friday, my third COVID booster shot, 
the nurse was outraged that the voters didn't have to be masked. But all I'm thinking about is if we required them to be masked, what kind of arguments and hostility we'd have to be dealing with all day long at the polling place. And I think it that's could why- could actually get crazy. Yeah, I think people are- I, I think that's why our, our election officials made it so that the voters don't have to be masked, but we do. And I'm glad that I, you know, that I have, I have N95s and all of that stuff. And I'm really glad that I got my booster shot (laughs) because I'm going to be sitting there all day for, let's see, we have to be in there by 5.15 a.m. because the polls open at 6 and they close 6 a.m. and they close at 8 p.m. And I will be there all day. That is a big commitment. It's also exciting. It's like, I'm sorry you're having to do it in in the middle of a pandemic, but it sounds like a good... A good thing to do, you know? It's something I've actually wanted to do for a long time. And my dad used to do it in Virginia. And they actually, they pay us. And uh, our current governor, Murphy, has made an executive order to give everybody extra money because they haven't had a raise in 20 years. For They haven't increased the salary for poll workers in 20 years. So he's giving executive ordering us more money. But the... Uh, election official who was teaching us how to use the polling machines was telling us that we need to write to our state legislatures and legislators and tell them to give us an actual raise. It's not a lot of money, but it it's nice. <laughs> it's yeah. a nice little piece of change. For working election day in New Jersey, uh, you get 300 bucks. So it seems like a lot, but for a 16 hour day, it's not really that much. Yeah, and, uh, it's a it's a nice gesture for an important doing a an important job yeah. for our democracy. You know? And the thing the thing that it's I better find, than the it's better than jury duty. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. But the one thing that I was very fascinated with is the way they do the chain of custody of the ballots and everything. And, and there's little seals that we have to put, that we have to take, make sure everything is sealed when we, in the morning and then the evening when we, we're closing up everything. We have to seal all of these different things and, and uh, the votes go in one thing. And then there's a summary page that goes to two different places so they can check and double check. And, and there's a paper record of everything, even though like the votes are on a, a USB stick that's in this locked compartment. It's really, you know, it looks very secure. And I have a lot more confidence in our voting process than I did before I knew any of this stuff. So, wow. you know. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. So what, what's up with you? <laughs> uh, let's see. This day started out pretty well. I've been up doing stuff, hanging out with my cat, went to the post office, did all the normal things. <laughs> but on the way to the post office, though, I actually re- not re, re remembered that Friday. I really could have been hurt very seriously at that intersection. I really almost got hit by a car. Oh my god! And it was one of those things where you don't. At the time, I was just like so shocked. I know I screamed, and I talked to a woman that was on the corner waiting for the bus, and she's like, "Are you okay?" and all that, and I was fine. And basically. I don't think I did anything wrong. I I started crossing in the intersection when the light turned and this car came up and I thought they were seeing me 
but they just decided to just continue making a left when I was like in the oh. intersection and it was in the rain and it was all this thing. And I was just looking at it this morning going like, wow, I really came pretty close to not being okay. <laughs> Shit. Shit. <laughs> yeah. It was weird to kind of like see that again and go, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was, that wasn't good. So somebody was turning with like with the light, but you were crossing at the same time. And, and right. And they wow. didn't, maybe didn't expect me to, I don't know, but definitely it, wow. it seemed like a normal well, time for me to begin crossing when the light turned and I thought, and they seemed to have seen me or whatever. I didn't see any, anything unusual when I started crossing, you know what I mean? Uh -huh. And then suddenly there was a car like a foot from me <gasps> on a rainy street. Like, I was just like, God, oh my God. Damn. I'm glad you didn't get hit. I'm really <laughs> glad too. I almost, I was going to pick up my car at the mechanic. It would have been a shame if I didn't make it there, <laughs> you know, but so that was odd. But other than that, uh -huh. I, I had a really good weekend, though. Um, well, that's good. <laughs> yeah, after almost dying on Friday, <laughs> I went to a really good uh, outdoor Halloween party. And um, I, I was the heat miser. And I, there was another heat miser <laughs> there, which was really funny. So we waved at each other. And I met the Bee Gees. And there was a Mr. Rogers. And there was, oh, one guy went as the QAnon, um, the QAnon shaman. It was really. Oh wow! It was really funny. <laughs> it was very well done. <laughs> but there were a lot of cool characters and um, just a good party with you know a lot of enough space for everybody outdoors and dancing and a lot of Bowie covers. That's cool. This band called Volcano Candy Volcano. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. Well, it was a fun. It was a fun night. Yeah. So yeah, life is life is good. Okay. <laughs> let's uh let's do our three random facts and the news that's right i have an interesting fact <laughs> it, it was it, it was cool well i've always i've been working and knowing for a long time um two very cool wendy's um uh, one who works with me on seo and uh this one right here so <laughs> so last week I, I just happened to be looking at facebook and i saw someone saying like happy anniversary wendy blah blah and i was assuming it was your spouse and then i looked and it was like wait a minute oh wow this is the other wendy's husband saying this <laughs> and i thought that was really cool it's like okay so my my two wendy's in my life have the same wedding anniversary and they also have the same last initial which i thought was I we don't have the same the birthday too. too do we i don't i don't know that would be a good that question. would be really creepy yeah i'll have to i'll have to check on that <laughs> but i thought that was cute it was like a little personal fact that is very funny. I well, you know, there are only three hundred and sixty-five days in the year, so the odds of two random people having the same day for something—it's not, not really weird. I know. I know. An S is the most common last initial in That's the right. United States. Wendy is not that common a name, though. No, Wendy is not. Well, it depends on how old you are. Right. I've actually met. Well, I didn't meet the other Wendy Sheridan when I was googling myself. But, but that sounds uh, so naughty. She, I know, I know it does. I like to Google myself very often. But anyway, <laughs> she was, uh, she's, she was someone who went to school in Asbury Park, who was around my age. And the only reason I know that is because people were looking for her for a high school reunion, and they thought I was her, and I wasn't her. 
she moved to Amsterdam many years ago, but she's also a musician. And in the 80s, we both really looked very similar. That's really wild. I, yeah. <laughs> and I also met a woman with my same maiden name through work because she was selling things that I that she cold called me and it was a very funny conversation that we had. So yeah. Anyway, here's one of my random facts. In 1719, John Law decided to offer prisoners in Paris their freedom as long as they were willing to marry a prostitute and head off to the Louisiana Territory. Anyone who agreed to this bargain was shackled together until they boarded a ship to sail for the Gulf Coast. John Law went as far as to raid hospitals for drunks and disorderly soldiers, find prostitutes and the black sheep of society, paupers, and just about anyone who wouldn't put up a fuss. And then they were forcibly taken to the docks to be shipped off to the colony. Those who came willingly were offered land and provisions. And that is so fucked up and so funny <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> it kind of sounds like a good time, except for the force forcible removal part. Well, this was, you know, <laughs> 1719 when people were basically snatched off the streets for lots of reasons. That was, yeah. you know, um, I was watching some, you know, was it Horatio Hornblower TV show? And they, you know, they, I, I had forgotten that England had this thing called press gangs where they would just grab people and make them serve on ships. Yikes. and stuff like that yeah it it it, it sucked to yeah, live in the 18th century <laughs> <laughs> for a lot of reasons but these guys went to Bilo what is now biloxi mississippi and the original people there started to move to new orleans once all of these prisoners and prostitutes showed up on the boats because it was getting unpleasant and i think Prisoners and prostitutes is that should be the name of a role playing game like Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> that would be good for a band or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> wow, uh, that's an interesting one. Uh, my final fact for the day is to escape the grip of a crocodile's jaw, push your thumb into its eyeballs. Oh. <laughs> It will release you immediately. <laughs> I, I kind of think, yeah. I would think so. <laughs> well, if I'm ever in that situation, I will remember. And I really, you know, I really hope not. <laughs> I do want to go to Australia one day before too long. So I, I don't think I will wind up in that place. But I'll remember this fact <laughs> just in case. <laughs> How much news can we handle today? <laughs> well, let's start a little bit here. So well, the first thing that I, I, I was thinking about this, I guess this got announced probably two weeks ago or not quite. But anyway, Andrew Yang has a new party. It's called the Forward Party. So he's left the Democratic Party and um, is doing this new thing. So, you know, it's it's weird. It's weird to hear him talk about it because he was saying that basically... He feels like he has a message that can reach different people. And we have to reach people who are moderates. We have to reach people across the board about a lot of issues, you know. And he feels like he can reach people who may not be Democrats or progressives, but the, the name in and of itself will block them from even hearing him. Hmm. So he feels like the only way forward, you know, I guess hence the name. Yeah 
is to do something different and to start introducing this third party thing. And, you know, and, and, and a lot of people will agree that they would wish that we have more, more input besides this like two party system where it's either all or nothing and the two sides hate each other and all of that, you know, but of course the downside of it is that third parties are often spoilers and you know, he was, you know, in the interview I heard, like they were really pressing him for, do you really think this is the time to be doing this? <laughs> when, you know, if if Donald Trump decides to run again, are you going to be, you know, promoting a third party that could could really put him back in office or whatever, you know? So, well, I like Yang- Andrew Yang and I like his ideas and I like that he's so different. Is he running for president in 2024? I, I don't, I, I'm not sure. Okay. But I, I thought maybe he's doing this because there's a push in his, dis- he's like a congressman now, right? Right. I feel a little bit nervous and dismayed at this development. So hmm. we'll see. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I don't know. I, I have enough trouble. I have enough trouble dealing with the school board election that's happening right now. I mean, there our local school board, there's all kind <laughs> the the community forums that I am on on Facebook have been exploding for the last week and and over because there's a very there's it's a very contested school board election <laughs> in mm. local railway politics. But I voted on last Sunday. I voted early because I won't be able to vote during Tuesday tomorrow because I'll be working the polls. Right, right. So, you know, so I've, it's like, yeah, you can send me all, where were you two weeks ago when I needed this information to make a decision? Because <laughs> I voted already. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, you know, I, I, I they, got mine in last week yeah, too. So now that they have early voting in New Jersey, these people have to move their dates up because people are voting, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? But anyway, my first news item is from the New York Times, and they have reported that at least 5 million people have died of COVID worldwide so far, but experts think that that is an undercount by 2 to 10 times due to the uncertainty of some data sources, like, you know, the reporting out of Russia, for example. That's Um, staggering. They don't trust those numbers. But yeah, it kind of... You know, you think about, you know, oh, we've lost over 700,000 people in the United States. You don't really think about the whole global effect of everything. And it's it's a lot of people. That's 5 million people is a lot. And that's probably, and they're, the experts are saying that's an undercount. So very sad. Very, mm. very sad. And yeah, I didn't do a lot of foreign news this week because I spent the morning reading the Washington Post uh, reporting on the January 6th insurrection. And, That's a uh, lot. I think it's reasonable to, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can be our foreign correspondent next show. Again. Yeah, that's exactly. This was their local in-country news was more important this week. This is a fascinating deep dive into the entire timeline starting months before the election, the 2020 election, and going up to basically today. And it it's broken up into three sections, like before, during, and after. And 
you know, a lot of the stuff, if you've been following the news, is stuff you've already known. But a lot of the stuff was news to me, you know, especially about all of the various intelligence communities and how they were monitoring social media and keeping track of things, which is kind of bizarre considering, you know, how the day played out. It's like they they knew a lot of stuff, but they weren't taking it all seriously. And And, and there was a quote in the article saying that, you know, they didn't think, you know, all these white middle-aged men would be violent. And it's like, I'm going, do you not know white middle-aged men? (laughs) Well, or just know the trend of who really are the primary terrorists in our country. Right. Right now. Uh, It's like they missed a chapter or two. Yeah. Well, I think it's my, my opinion is the people making these judgment were in that demographic and maybe they couldn't conceive of themselves acting like that. But if they had talked to anybody who wasn't a white middle-aged man, they might've gotten a different perspective. Um, Well, it makes me wonder what they actually heard because did they hear people really, really planning to breach the Capitol or just all kind of talk about, we're going to go and be angry. You know what I mean? It's like, it seems seems to me like they knew, they knew a lot more. They knew a lot more, but it's also, you know, they also have to, I mean, they're also like the FBI and the and the Department of Justice have to walk this fine line between what is protected speech and what is an actual threat, right. you know, and the people posting on social media have, you know, they know that too. So they're, they're trying to stay on the protected speech side of things, whereas all of their dog whistles and, 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 you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink means something else when they're reading it. But as a law enforcement person, you can't say, okay, this is, this is something we need to, this isn't actionable, you know, but they have arrested 600 and arrested and charged 650 people so far. And the DOGA now believes that between 2000 and 2,500 people actually went into the Capitol building. That is news to me. I I thought it was a few hundred actually. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, it looked like mayhem, but it, it, you couldn't even tell how many. You can't tell by looking at the pictures on TV how many there yeah. really were. Like, I don't, I don't wow. know if you you probably need the subscription to the Washington Post to read this, but you could probably get a copy at your library if you don't have a subscription. And I recommend I'm, I recommend this article to anybody interested in the insurrection and because uh, it, it was very very in depth. Yeah, I would like to learn more about it for sure. Thank you for that. Sure. In the Supreme Court, (laughs) as I track that too, they have yet again denied Washington, D.C. voting representation in Congress. That was settled last week. And today, uh, today, Monday, November 1st, they are taking up the Texas abortion law. And in December, they're taking up the Mississippi abortion law. And we're going to see how that plays out. They're they're listening to arguments today, right? And this that. is where they hear all the arguments and stuff, but we don't know what they they're thinking about it for until right. next season, right, right? 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 Well, I don't know. Whenever I guess they don't make their decisions until the spring or summer. Yeah, is when they publish their decisions. I think this may be faster because you know right now that law is in effect. Both of them, mm-hmm. I think. But I don't know. But we will. I'm staying on top of that. Okay. 
and in less depressing news, <laughs> five dozen, which is, I can't do math now. Um, 60. 70, 60, five dozen is 60. Yes. Okay. 60, 60 bison were released onto nearly 28,000 acres of native grasslands on the Rosebud Sioux Indian, Indian reservation in South Dakota. The release to the Wallacota Buffalo Range will help increase the herd to the goal of 1,000 animals, making it the largest Native American managed bison herd in North America. And it was, there's a little video clip, a very short video clip on the, on the link that's going to be in our show notes that shows this herd of bison ro roaming through the plains. And it's really nice to see that they're trying to bring them back. So that, that so is yay. really exciting. That's very cool. <laughs> and in other species returning news, <laughs> which is also very good, monarch butterflies are returning to Pismo Beach. Oh, cool. Yes. I, I thought this was very nice. It says here, like, basically, I mean, they really plummeted in numbers from, like, in the late 90s. Oh, wow. Apparently, till they were really feeling like they were pretty much extinct. Like, there were people that were like, don't, you know, or so threatened that some mm. people were like it's might not even be worth trying to do anything with them or, or about them which is wow. uh really kind of scary but i guess they have increased let's see what this says they've increased by thir three thousand five hundred percent wow over the last year which is pretty exciting um i don't see the raw numbers here but but it's um yeah it's good and they said that if you the ways you can help is like to plant milkweed that's local to your area. Mm -hmm. If you want to help give them a place to get food along their journeys. And if you're in California, you can actually like sponsor an area where they have habitat and help support oh, cool. things like that. So yeah, I, I planted some Asclepius, which is the it's it's also called butterfly weed. It's yes. not actually the milkweed that I knew that was growing in my my last house or two houses ago. It would just grow. But I also this year for the first time have seen several monarch butterflies in my yard because I have that plant growing there. So nice. yeah, and it's always exciting to see the orange and black you know wings flying around. I get all I get a oh, butterfly. Yeah, <laughs> so, they're really beautiful. So yeah. I'm glad to hear they're they're making a comeback. Me too. And and something about Pismo Beach makes me laugh. I I feel it's like a place that Bugs Bunny would go on vacation. <laughs> I think he might have gone there at some point. <laughs> but it's it's very cool. I'm really happy about this. And so. in Futurama, there was a a robot in the Robot Fighting League that was announced as the Gizmo from Pismo. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I think, is that all the news we're handling today? <laughs> I think now that we're on to cartoons, probably, <laughs> yes. <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by Feminism. Are you tired of conforming to gender norms that don't really fit who you are? Have you been frustrated in meetings by having others repeat what you just said and have the room react as if it's the first time they'd heard it? Are your loan rates higher and your salary lower than the guy sitting next to you in the office? Are you unable to express your emotions without being ridiculed? Maybe it's time to ask your doctor about feminism. Side effects might include empowerment, equal pay, respect, being seen, and being heard. 
Ask your doctor or therapist if feminism is right for you. Or you can just decide for yourself. And now, back to our podcast. Well, welcome to the Blanket Fort, and this is where we talk about things that are, you know, about emotions and healing and um, self-help kinds of things, and kind of it's a place to retreat when we need to take a break from things, from all the crazy news and everything else. It's just a place to sit and talk. So welcome yeah. to our Blanket Fort. Yeah, I I like hide. I like hiding in here. <laughs> I did a lot of hiding in the blanket fort on uh, Halloween. So I've been dealing with some emotional issues over, and it's, it's stupid too. I was not hired on a job that I really thought I was going to get because I had a very good interview with the manager, but I guess I didn't answer the what are you doing after this project is over question properly, you know, and they, and they turn me down in favor of somebody cheaper and somebody who wants to become an employee of the company and stay there for a long time. Oh, so, I guess that was the answer. Like, Oh, I want to work. I guess into being a you know, part of I'm, the company. Yeah. I'm, I'm a couple of years away from my official retirement date and I actually pulled the trigger on my social security, but I had looked into it and I was like saying, Oh wow, I can actually suspend my social security for a number of years and then reactivate it and then get like a higher money. Cause I got it at 62, which is like the minimum payment out that you could get. And I was like prepped to do all of that. And I was prepped to, to work till I'm 67 and a half or 66 and a half or whatever. But I guess that's not long enough for them. And I'm also expensive. You know, mm -hmm. they, they wanted a junior person and I'm a senior person with, right. with, uh, with the commensurate salary expectations. But after that rejection, I felt really, really horrible. I was and a little was, worried about you, I remember. That, yeah. yeah, but you want to know what I, you know, when I was editing show, I guess it was 111 with Christiana, the, the tarot expert, and I was listening to her talking about the four cards of acceptance. It's like, it's like the clouds parted and it's like, fuck it. Yeah, duh. It The wheel, it, the wheel of fortune turned, this shit I can't control. It's not my fault. And I felt better. It's like, and now I want everybody to listen to the interview because it like it fixed my brain and I want everyone else to hear it. So go listen to episode 111 if you haven't heard it yet. So yeah, Christiana is really, she has a lot of insight and I'm glad that that helped you. It, and it, it, it kind of showed me. up when you needed it. It right? did. It came at absolutely the right time. And yeah, I feel a lot better about it. But, you know, this weekend at Samhain, I I think it was, my husband's time to have his, you know, two years of COVID protocol breakdown because he lost his shit over the weekend. And it was, uh, it was not fun for anybody here. So 
but I, you know, I, I guess, I guess, you know, he has, he was a, he is, he is an essential worker. So he worked all through the pandemic. He went into work, he, except for that one month where everybody stayed home and maybe it was two months, but he would go into the office. I mean, he was like the only guy there, but his job was to make sure the teleconferencing stuff was working so everybody could have their zoom meetings. <laughs> so right. it was really that important. is an essential yes. job these days for sure. But I, I think I and, and I think now that the vaccine mandates are, you know, hitting everybody, and there's people in his work group who do not want. There's actually a lot of people at his company that do not want to get vaccinated, and a lot of them are quitting, and a lot of them aren't quitting. But then, then it's it's pressure. I guess on him and and it was like it's getting to be too much. I think he really wants stuff to go back to normal and it's I don't think it's going to ever. I don't know. That's a hard thing. That's still yeah. I mean I'm getting a little bit a little nervous about the winter again just because I do need to rein in the number, you know, the numbers of people I'm around if you if you've got to be indoors. I'm not really going to start acting like everything's normal because it's not you know yeah and so i'm really trying to savor these times when i can get out and be outside and i was just dancing i danced like seven kilometers worth of steps like at the, at the thing <laughs> <That's> <laughs> at awesome. it was kind of like i looked at my thing my phone i was like wait whoa wow that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> you know and that's like i really I really like, I feel really alive when I'm in movement in general, you know, exercise and dance, especially. And they're just like hearing certain songs and just like feeling free and being in a silly costume and like that. All those things make me like live, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So you had like the whole uh, perfect storm of happiness happening. I did. I did. I saw a couple of people who I hadn't seen in a long time, one of whom I, I was see you on a dance floor somewhere you know and it was reminiscent and cool and it just felt wonderful you know and and i and i, I really kind of savor it because like okay october is iffy in terms of weather for us in new jersey yeah. you know and then you get into november or december it's like well i'm gonna be inside so you know i'm going out to visit some people uh coming up in less than a few days i'm leaving <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that's gonna be great and i feel you know i feel safe with those folks it's still it's still kind of hard to think like okay well i'm used to being like in a room with like one person <laughs> like hanging out with a group of people like i i I, tr I do trust these folks but it's it's still something to think about it's still it's not like a free and clear emotional right. space you know like you have to be trusting of of folks i think i think what i'm saying is i'm feeling that the burden that covid had on my mind like last year when things were really bad i was really like in an emotionally terrible space i'm i'm like afraid of that again i'm afraid of that coming back because mm. it was well, it was really not good i'm you know i feel like i'm getting better health-wise because i put i did a lot of damage to myself physically health-wise Hmm. in the last year and a half or whatever and i'm angry at myself for that but i'm trying to be compassionate and just do better things. acceptance 
Yeah. Be compat. Yeah. Don't be angry with yourself for stuff that you can't change now because it happened already. Right. I can't change choices that were not healthy before, but I can do better things now. So yeah, you're right. It's like the idea of not, I don't need to be angry at depressed Robin. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I can. No, you have to hug depressed Robin and, and say, well, she's like not here now and do your other things. Yeah. But I also want to say that Merck drug that's supposed to, it's a treatment for COVID that I, I don't know if it got approved by the FDA or it was imminently approved. It's like that orange pill or whatever. Right. I've only heard a little bit about it. I haven't. Yeah, but that's supposed to be, if you get it, it's supposed to, if you get COVID and you take this medication, it's supposed to help cure you without having to be on a ventilator and all of that other stuff. So they actually have developed a treatment. So that will go a very long way eventually to, to returning a sense of, you know, that we could be in a room with people, you know. And that's what one of the reasons why I was very anxious to get my booster shot because it's been seven months since my last dose and I have, you know, the voting day and then I have a craft fair on the on that weekend, this coming weekend. And then I have a science fiction convention in two and a half weeks. So this is like my exposure to other people month. <laughs> and then right. I'm going to go back home and close the door and wait you know i think that's where i'm at too (laughs) you know i'll be doing a few things and then i i'm gonna hide yeah for for just a little while one good thing is that i'm feeling more i guess that goes with that whole like getting out and dancing thing that i'm feeling more alive in general and i'm just noticing like a different just a different feeling like I'm doing things I'm creating a space that I that I like in my home I'm Mm. more musical I'm I don't know I feel more settled than I have in a long time and well that's good yeah and I think a lot part of it has to do with just having more more social time Mm. because there is that tricky balance for me of um like I really am very much an introvert and I also need and love community, you know? So being with no one was a really terrible situation, you know? And now I I still, I feel like, you know, I'm back in touch with people. It's not, I'm not as terrified because we do a vaccine. We have, you know, ways to, navigate these things we're starting to develop our way Mm -hmm. to deal with it all and i guess that's part of it i mean part of it could just be just the work i've been doing like i have been doing some of that grief work stuff which has feels not sad it just feels communicative or something or at least okay it just as if i'm able to communicate some things that i never could or something so i feel like a lot of those things for me that were really plaguing me are starting to settle out a bit and that's good. <laughs> I'm probably finally getting the, the the I had the terrible, horrible, no good person who was in my house <laughs> being gone for over a year now. 
I feel Yay. like, oh, yeah. I have a home back, you know? Yes, but, the housemate from hell. <laughs> yes. So I feel like all of those things maybe are conspiring positively. Oh, that's good. So I just feel like, you know, making music and putting, to, you know, just doing more, more in that world. So that feels nice. Yeah. yeah. But I hear you when you talk about feeling like a rejection being hard. Mm-hmm. You know, I have, well, I've, yeah, I've had situations <laughs> like that, but it's like, I don't know. I think I shut it out. I shut down a bit too. And sometimes yeah. I don't try as much as I should. Well, I mean, I did the stupid like thing. That. I did the stupid thing of, you know, deciding on, oh, I'm going to be making this much money a week, which is this you thought your way too money far into it. Then, yeah. And I was fantasizing about the things I'm going to buy and all of this other stuff. I had a list and, uh -huh. and, you know, so, yeah. So when it didn't come out all, you know, that whole thing, just the, that whole just went poof. Uh -huh. And then, so I, I felt bad about that. I felt bad about, you know, you get, especially when you don't get the job or something, you think it's something about you and, and, you know, what did, you know, you're not good enough or you're too old or this and that, or, you know, you start second guessing everything. And it just, it just started this whole sad downward spiral. And I, and it took, I took it a lot harder than I have gotten, you know, re from other things I didn't get, other gigs I didn't get. I, you know, this one I took pretty hard, probably for that reason, because I was spending the money in my head. And also, I was also, trying to get psyched to be working full time again and juggling like the podcast and, you know, all of this, I was like figuring out how all of the logistics were going to work. And I'm trying to get myself psyched to, you know, put this 40 hour week in, which I haven't had to do. Oh my God. I haven't had to do it really since 2014. Mm -hmm. Well, the end of 2014. So six years. So, you know, there's, so there's a lot of, habits that I that I have developed that I would have to now undevelop and and I was trying to just get myself in a mental space like that and then the whole thing just collapsed so there was a lot of you know just bad feelings yeah. and like I said episode 111 if you're feeling yes. down <laughs> if you're feeling down because of circumstances episode 111 <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome Wow. Yeah, I like the feeling of being really busy. It's kind of funny when you mentioned, you know, trying to think about how you're going to do all the things now. But when you're doing all those things, like it's just, it's you're just in the flow of it, you know? Yeah. And I, I feel, I think I'm, I feel better when I'm more, when I just have, I, I think I, I thrive with disciplines, you okay. know? So it's about, getting up and exercising and doing a certain doing patterns in a way, you know, mm -hmm. and making sure the show's all getting done and the, my other work <laughs> and all this stuff. And it's like, I don't, I, I can, I can over, I can do too much work or too yeah. much of a certain type of thing. And, and that's not healthy. And I'm really getting better at balancing that, but something about like having schedules that keep me doing all the things that are really important to my health and important to making progress on the projects I'm working on and all of that. That's when I'm, I'm thriving when I'm in that flow. So okay. I've been thinking a lot about 
wanting to be a little busier than I am, which it doesn't, that's not quite it. Cause I can be super busy, but busier and balancing all the things that I really should be doing and, and mm. cutting out the, you know, I could probably watch a little less YouTube and, <laughs> and do some other things that, that, that can slip by if you're not, if you don't have a boss watching you or something like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> not that I, I'm pretty self-regulated, but I could get better at that. And I, and I'm just noticing how much I feel better when I'm a little more focused than I had been, you know? And I think part of that, maybe that's what's been coming into my life a bit more, mm. you know, but it's interesting to hear you talk about, yeah, how can I, how did I do all those things before? Like, let me figure out what, yeah, you know? I, I, yeah, I look at, I look at like the Facebook memories and stuff and I, and I remember, you know, working 40 hours a week in an office. So there's another hour, 90 minutes commute on top of that every day. So it's 45, 50 hours out of the house. I would make costumes for 40 people for a production for a show when my kid was in high school. And I did that for a couple of different shows. And I remember, you know, so I did, you know, so I was doing like Project Runway on the weekends and at night, and then I would be working all day. And I don't know, like, how did I have the energy to do that? I, I have no yeah. idea. I, I'm I think, just, I think okay. it's because I wasn't 60 something yet. I don't know. <laughs> well, you, you know, you were, you were also just, I mean, for me, it's a lot of like the transition between things I'm doing. Mm. Like if you don't perceive that you have time to get to the next thing, like you just, you're just there, you're just doing it, <laughs> you know, at least that's <laughs> what I notice for myself. Yeah. I can dawdle about things. But that was a good rec thing for me to recognize. And it's not that I don't know it. I mean, I do know that getting up and exercising and meditating and, and <laughs> keeping a regular work schedule and all that, I, I'm just, I feel good Yeah, when I do that. So I'm, I feel like I'm always like slowly approaching doing better things, but I think sometimes you just need to, I just need to jump in, you know, <laughs> but in general. I'm on the right, I'm on the right track. Well, good. So That's good. Yeah. I like our blanket for it. <laughs> it helps. Hi, I'm Beth Ann Yeager, a budding eco-psychologist, and you are listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. Well, I am really excited to be here with Emma on The Leftscape. Emma is a writer, editor, and multimedia storyteller based in the Washington, D.C. metro area. She is the person behind A Plate Less Ordinary, where she shares stories about food, culture, and technology. In a world that prioritizes quantity from social media algorithms to food porn, she focuses more on quality. She believes everyone owes it to themselves to eat well and hopes those who visit her website will learn something and come away with a new perspective. So I am very much looking forward to learning something here today as well. So welcome, Emma. Hi, thanks for having me, Robin. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> I'm glad to have you here for sure. 
I guess first I'd love to hear a little bit more about you and your background and how you came to be interested in food. Thanks for asking. So I'd say I've always been interested in food. My mom is a great cook. My grandmother was a terrible cook. She was a <laughs> microwave person. But my mom, she is an exceptional cook. And I think that is really what gave me an interest in cooking. I grew up uh, in metropolitan New York and had so much access to great food. So there were always different types of people, different types of flavors in my life. And then when I moved to Washington, D.C., it's a very similar type of place where there's, there's so much you can explore and so many different types of cuisines. So that just was something that I was always drawn to. And similarly, I've always been into writing. Since I was a kid, um, I ended up going to college to study journalism and then working as a writer editor for more than a decade in various capacities. That's super cool. I want to learn more about that too at some point. That sounds really interesting. And I know that you've said that food is an important way that people can bond culturally and accept one another and their cultures. And we've been talking about acceptance for this whole season on the show. So I'm curious about that. And, and how have you seen that play out? Like when we share food with one another, what are, what, what are we doing? Like what's really happening with that? Yeah, you know, something that I've been thinking about recently is how food can be such a powerful tool for nostalgia. The last thing I wrote for my website was about pumpkin spice because it's autumn. Pumpkin spice is one of those flavors that many people think of when they think of Thanksgiving and being around family and good times and that kind of aroma and taste. And it, it can really transport you to somewhere else. And I think that when you have those sort of food experiences, most people in the United States are familiar with pumpkin pie as something seasonal, but there are other types of foods that are more regional, that are more for people's, you know, particular backgrounds. And I think when you go to a different place or you meet somebody else's family and they say, hey, I want to share this dish with you that I grew up with, you know, the dish that my auntie made, the dish that I ate every Sunday as a kid, and I want you to try a part of it. I mean, they're really inviting you into part of their life and showing you something about you know, the circumstances in which they, they maybe grew up or something that's, that's important to them, something that's part of their nostalgia. And for my own family, I've definitely seen how food is a big connecting bond. So I'm an Ashkenazi Jewish American. My spouse is Asian American. His parents are from Taiwan. And something that's really kind of funny is when my mother-in-law immigrated many decades ago, she came to New York. My in-laws came to New York from Taiwan, and she worked in an industry that was all other Jewish Americans. And she, her experience, her formative experience in the United States was with Jewish American food. And a lot of the people she worked with, she said, they, they ate things that my family ate. You know, it, she moved to Queens, New York. A lot of my family lived in Queens. Chinese food on Christmas, you know, Chinese food just as something we're going to get for takeout, matzo ball soup and matzah and these these flavors that they're really not familiar to a lot of people. 
But now that we have, uh, I have a son who's a little bit shy of two years old. You know, I try to celebrate Jewish holidays with him. We try to celebrate the Chinese holidays like Lunar New Year, Mid-Autumn Festival. But it's really nice that when I say, oh, it's Passover or it's Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, this is what we eat. My mother-in-law is so enthusiastic about it and she wants to be engaged and she's familiar with it. And, you know, on Christmas, when we go out for Chinese food, it's the same where it's this thing that we just bond over because it's it's like a New York Jewish and Asian thing, but it's really wonderful. And I'm really excited for my son to grow up with that as a, a joint experience that his, that his family can share. That is really interesting, you know, that she are, uh, already had a, a background in a lot of the food and culture that you were familiar with. And that, that's, um, that's really cool. Are there things that you feel like you've combined or negotiated specifically in, in that, you know, blended cultural family? Are you just you know, sort of, yeah. So I would say my spouse and I, we really, even though we, we didn't grow up together, I mean, we met as adults, but we had a lot of common experiences. He grew up as a kid in New York then moved to the Philly area. A lot of my family lives in the Philly area as well. So we had a lot of common cultural touchstones. But it's funny you mention this because I was at the doctor recently and he mentioned this restaurant, I think it was called Ginsburg and Wong. It was in South Jersey. Oh, and I feel like I should know it, that's funny. Yeah, and it was a, a Jewish Chinese restaurant because he, we just, we were talking I, and about my family and it made me really want to do more exploration of kosher Chinese food and the origins of Jewish Americans eating Chinese food. I've read a little bit about it. You know, one part of that lore is that these were restaurants where Jewish people felt like they could go and feel very comfortable. And also they were restaurants that were open on holidays like Christmas when other places weren't. Um, but it really is a thing. And I, it's something that I, I, again, I've read a little bit about, I mean, there is writing on it, but I would really love to do a more deep dive one day into what that cultural exchange looks, looks like and what it meant for a lot of Jewish Americans who maybe kept kosher, but then stopped eating, uh, following kosher dietary laws in the United States to sort of where we are now, where for my family, it's just very, it's very natural to just kind of get food and, and share it. And there's, there's not a lot of bumps. We just sort of vibe. That sounds really, that's neat. And that's, that's a really interesting concept too, of something to write about and explore in the future, you know, how the certain traditions come to be. My tradition now is I get, I pick up some Indian food the day before Christmas or somewhere. And, and I just have all my favorite foods and I kind of like hide out and hibernate a bit on Christmas day, you know, and uh, I do a lot of, I do some Christmassy things with, at least I, I used to with some people and then celebrate pagan holidays mostly. So I celebrate Yule and kind of take Christmas as a day of chill time or something, you know, I've really developed some of my own traditions and traditions with friends over the years, you know, things that, people do and I've picked up a lot of like I've sh I've gotten to share some of my family's 
traditions, holiday traditions, and also to pick up other people's, you know. My family is actually biracial. My dad was white, my mom was black, and I don't know that I, you know, I don't think I grew up having a strong sense of, like, foods from different cultures so much. It was sort of more, it was more just sort of American-ish. But I did find it, I, I think I did have certain things that were like more African-American traditions that I didn't really, I wasn't aware of it as that being a thing until I would take it somewhere else and mention it and people would go, oh, that's that's weird. Why do you have macaroni and cheese on Christmas or something? And that's, so I found out that was more of an African-American tradition, which I wasn't even that aware of. So it was kind of interesting to learn a little bit about that. But I'm not sure that I had as distinct cultural foods coming together in some ways. But. Well, that's that's cool that you're making your own traditions now with Indian food. That sounds delicious. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, I think it's with food, you can realize that some some days, even some holidays, they're not very notable to you. But then other times it could be someone's birthday during the year or you know, the last day of school or something. Another memory that comes to mind for me, a food memory, was my pediatrician's office when I was a kid was across the street from an IHOP. And (laughs) when I would have to go, you know, for a checkup or whatever, like after my mom would take me to IHOP sometimes, or I was, I don't even know if I want to admit this, I was in a bowling league when I was a kid. Nice. I was I was pretty cool. I had my own bowling ball. It was pretty amazing. My grandmother was in a league as well. But, you know, my my grandfather, whom I was very close to, every Saturday he would take me bowling and then we'd go out for pizza and it was just him and me time. And that's the sort of food memory that isn't on a holiday. It's not related to our our background or our race or ethnicity, but it's it's those sorts of things that you share with someone who's really special for you. And the restaurant that we went to, it's still in business. And I've, I've taken my spouse there now. And it's nice to just sit there and have a slice. And remember those good times. Whenever I eat certain types of pizza, it was I really liked uh, white pizza with uh, broccoli and spinach on it. Oh, yeah. I like that, too. <laughs> you know, but it just it takes me back to to that time and place. And it's just kind of making your own memories. And I think part of it is, you know, part of accepting who you are and your what your story is and the, the little things that make you special and, and different and that make your story different than other people. Mm-hmm. So this is actually a question about difference. One of the things I've always wondered personally is that I'm a vegetarian and that's just a very longstanding part of my life, you know, and I also have some ridiculous food allergies and all that stuff. But I know that some people say that like when you're traveling abroad, you should just go with the flow and eat everything that everyone else is eating. And I feel like I want to share and I want to be open. And I also want to be able to convey those those particular things about my diet in a way that's not insulting, I guess I could say. So are there is there a way to do that? that you think is appropriate or best? That's a great question. I I think it depends a lot on the context. I I think in general, it is good to express something to people. And if you can do it as far in advance as possible, 
then that's the best. Mm -hmm. Because I know if I had a guest in my home and that person said, you know, I don't eat pork or I don't drink alcohol, I would want to respect and accommodate that. I wouldn't want to force somebody to eat something that they're not comfortable with. Or I have a lot of friends who are vegetarian. And I mean, certainly it can be difficult when you go certain places and if you're in somebody's home and they've prepared a meal, uh, you know, it, it's a fine line between not wanting to offend somebody, but also saying, you know, this is, this is part of my, my life and I appreciate you respecting that. And I, I think when you do it in a respectful way, the, the people tend to respond because again, I think if, if I was on the other side of that and someone came to try something of my food and they said, well, this is just, this isn't because I think your food is bad or strange. It's because, you know, I don't eat this certain type of product. Then I, I would want to respect that person just as they respect me eating it. Mm -hmm. that makes you sense. know, I, I think I feel like I might get lost in translation if I'm in a foreign country or something like that. But I, I think that's a, the, that's a good idea. Like give people advance notice and just yeah, of, you know, talk it, it through early. This is kind of a this is a very extreme example. My friend and I several years ago took a vacation together to Mongolia, and we went horseback riding. My friend is a horseback rider, and I really am into the step, and I'm not a horseback rider, but I somehow <laughs> made it. But one of the stops we were at, we stopped at a gur, which is like the, the yurt that they have, like this temporary structure, mm -hmm. except it can be permanent. This was this, this group's permanent home. And, you know, they were cooking like parts of animals that they had on a farm. I mean, it was, this was like really remote in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, my friend, she, she politely declined. And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll eat a little bit because I felt like in that situation, I, had to show respect mm -hmm. by accepting that food. But I, I think that's a very extreme example. Being <laughs> in the middle of the step in someone's yurt yes. when you got there on horseback. Most of the time, I think you're probably just in someone's home or you're in a restaurant and you could say, you know, no, thank you. I've definitely been there where it's, you know, I'm, I thank you, but I don't eat this or people in the party don't drink alcohol and you know, people are respectful of that. Very cool. That sounds like a, an amazing trip too, by the way. It was, it was an adventure. It was <laughs> an adventure, nice. but, but we're still good friends. Even after horseback riding and camping in the middle of nowhere in Mongolia, but it's a, it's a beautiful country. Beautiful. I would love to visit. So tell me about the role of social media in food culture. I know that you have some things to say about this for sure. Um, so like, what are, what are most food blogs about? I, I guess I've seen a few, but it's not something that I follow too much. There's one person I follow on YouTube that I, who I like, but are they, so are food blog, blogs fostering positivity, positivity or knowledge or looking for clicks or like, what, what, do you, what is it about? I guess I could say. So I think there's a tension in the food media space. I'd say on one side, and it, it's not a totally one side or the other, but more maybe a kind of a seesaw where there are different parts that go into different buckets on each side of it. And sort of the more you put into one bucket, the more it will lean toward one side or the other. So I think on one side, 
there are people who are creating blogs, who are writing recipes, who are, they have websites or they have social media accounts and they're, they're writing in traditional food media. They're doing podcasts. Even some people who are doing short form stuff focused on social media, who are really doing it to share knowledge, to create a community, to share food that they love and tell stories and and it's great. And there are a lot of people I follow who that's what they do. But I think on the other hand, there's this focus on monetization right now. And I know that you've talked about this in some of your other podcast episodes of the tension of doing something you love, but then feeling pressure to monetize it. Right. And in a lot of those spaces, you see people who are just posting what's trendy you know, they all kind of go to the same restaurant to post what's the hot thing. They're all chasing the same sponsorships or the same brand deals and posting things that are kind of outrageous and really extreme because it gets, it gets clicks and likes and it gets people confrontational and it gets people, you know, talking about it and going viral potentially. And then also in that bucket, I would say is where it, it falls the things that are, I think, kind of in a gray ethical area in terms of groups that are specifically designed for people to get more clicks and likes. There are these follow for follow groups. They are comment pods where you get an artificial boost of engagement, but you're not really getting people who actually care about what you're doing because the moment you leave the group, all the comments and the likes and the clicks stop. Right. And so I've seen that. I mean, I've mm -hmm. seen people getting a lot of engagement around things, but I didn't. And I've gotten things that just seem like bots commenting on me once in a while. But I wasn't aware of that as a real movement. So that's interesting. Yeah, yeah no, it's it's a really big thing. And people also can pay for followers, although I think that is more that's more easy to get shut down for. But with a lot of these engagement pods, they specifically give you guidelines to avoid getting caught. Mm -hmm. And to me, it stinks because it, it really hurts when people are actually trying to tell real stories and it, it makes it look like, Oh, but all these, you know, outrageous things, the giant piece of pizza that's a foot long and it's like dripping with 500 pepperonis, like and the time you know, when everything was cake. Yeah. That was a crazy trend. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, or the milkshake with like 10 donuts on it. Um, yeah, yeah, you I, know, things I, that, I missed that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just, and then there's a hundred comments under it that say, yum, looks delicious. That's cool. You know, I, I think it can be harmful because it makes people think, oh, well, that's what gets attention. But to me, I like connecting with people who, and they, they are out there, who have real stories, who have a real point of view, who are really in the kitchen developing recipes, you know, spending hours doing it, who are researching social media trends or researching food history. I, I love those things. And it can be harder to find some of those groups. But when you do and when you find those individuals, it, it's really worth it to build connections with those people. Nice. Um, you mentioned something about how to talk about food in a way that is 
welcoming and inviting. And there might be other ways that that could be othering or not, you know, distancing to people who you might be trying to connect with. Do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, I think definitely when it comes to the way that you approach new foods is a big one. And a, a pipe dream of mine is to help create materials geared toward kids to talk about food. Because obviously children, when they see something new, they can say, that's gross, that's weird, I don't like it, I don't like the texture. You know, children, obviously, they don't have as advanced a language and grasp of things. You know, they really react with their guts. But I think kids are also a great starting point because they're so open to new things. And I actually, I wrote an article last year in 2020 about some of the scientific research on developing taste preferences and how when you try something once, you may not like it, but you really need several exposures to do it. And I think talking about food and thinking about food and trying food comes down to that as well. You know, maybe you try something once and you're really like, okay, I really do not like this. You know, it's just really not for me. But I think just as the science shows that for children to be open and adults as well to tasting something multiple times to see if you really have a preference for it. I think when you talk about food, a similar type of thing is useful. Instead of saying flat out, I hate this, it's gross, using really put down language, you know, you can say this isn't to my taste or think about what do I not like? I don't like the texture. I don't like the flavor. It's too spicy. It's not spicy enough. You know, I don't like it is very, it's not very descriptive. But when you start to drill down into, oh, I don't like that food because I don't like that texture. Like me personally, I don't really like jello. I don't like the texture. I don't like the sweetness. It's not to my level. But that doesn't mean other people can't like jello. Just it's it's not for me. And I think when you when you start to frame it like that in your mind and you give yourself a chance to taste things and think, what is it about this that isn't working for me? Or maybe over time you realize you like it, that that can be more productive than saying, you know, just it's bad. <laughs> right. And, and I think like there are terms that maybe could cause a problem if, if you're talking about food from a different country or ethnicity. So like saying something exotic or that's, is that not, uh, that's, that's a, that's a word that maybe isn't in favor. Yeah. I think that exotic is one of those words that's falling out of favor because I, it, it does, like you were saying, it tends to other people. You know, I, I would say I, I try to shy away from that. I also try to not use a lot of diet culture words. That was a big thing a couple of years ago, like the term cheat day, mm. because it it kind of has implications about the judgment of food. You know, that this food, exotic food is, it, well, it's exotic maybe to you, but it's not to other people. It's It's other people's normal. And, you know, cheat day kind of has this implication of you're, you're doing something that's like kind of immoral or you're doing something that's wrong that isn't okay. 
you know, and I think you can instead say this is something new to me, something I've never tried before, you know, instead of exotic, something that is not common in my area, something that it's hard to find around here. Just as, you know, instead of focusing on it's a cheat day, I'm, I'm doing something kind of bad. I mean, you can just enjoy what you want when you want to, you know, and like celebrate that other people also, they have their things that are normal that they just enjoy and, you know, not make it something that has these kind of weird and negative connotations. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. That's a good insight. So let's see. So, well, it's October and I'm curious, you mentioned the pumpkin spice thing, but is there anything that a favorite thing of yours, a seasonal recipe or something that you really like to serve or share at this time of year, as it's getting a little slowly getting chillier where we are? You know, I would say the the thing I'm really into right now, this is not a seasonal thing, but it could be a little bit, is I got an air fryer in the past year. And I've gotten really into the air fryer. Two tools I've been really into in the past year have been my air fryer and my cast iron skillet. Cast iron is the best. A cast <laughs> iron, I would absolutely say, everybody, if there's one pan that you get, get a cast iron pan because it really, I'm sure you know then, you know, you use it on the stovetop, you put it into the oven, it can go very hot. I love making pizzas in it. Just pop it into the oven. It's, the cast iron is great. So do you, do you cast iron cook? I have my grandmother's cast iron and I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just, I think because it connects me to her, especially, you know, that's why I love it the most. See, that's part of your food nostalgia and your food story. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. But I, I would say that the air fryer, I'm not super into gadgets. I don't think you necessarily need gadgets. And I, I, I don't like to get on that train, but the air fryer has been really useful because I do like making wings. I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan and <laughs> I love making some wings and I like to make blue cheese dressing with the low fat Greek yogurt and some lemon juice and a little bit of vegan mayonnaise and blue cheese, cut up some celery and some vegetables and the air fryer makes the best wings. I really, uh, this is something I want to write about because I was such a skeptic of the air fryer, but it's been a really useful tool for me. Well, that's cool. That sounds like a game day feast. <laughs> so, so there you go. Very nice. So anything else you'd like to let us know about? Anything that's coming up on your blog or just a, an insight or anything to share? Yeah, you know, one thing I was thinking about was kindness. It's a term that is really popular right now. And I think that kindness, to me, two pillars of it are acceptance and support. And I try to approach my social media and my my food social media that way. So I was thinking, you know, sometimes I see people make things and that's not how I would make it, or that's not a quote unquote authentic recipe. And I'm not talking about big monetized food blogs where there there are a lot of problems where a lot of those blogs, they sell something where they've, frankly, they've taken it from someone else's smaller blog or they've taken it especially from someone else's culture Mm. and they've repackaged it and they're trying to sell it for money and 
that is not good. But I'm talking about when you see a small account, somebody who's just doing this for fun, or you know, maybe they have a couple of ads and sponsorships, and they're trying something new. And again, it's not authentic. It's not exactly what you would do. But I think something about being kind and accepting and supporting them is saying like, hey, that's cool that you're doing your best when you're learning to make something new. And I'm going to, you know, give you a like or drop you a comment and say like, good job. Like, that's really cool that you did that and that you're trying to learn more about it. For example, I've seen people make sushi and they use, you know, canned fish. Maybe all they have access to is canned salmon. You know, instead of making a nasty comment and saying, oh, that's gross or going back to that, you know, or, oh, that isn't really how you make it. That's not authentic. You know, maybe it's just good that that person is trying something new. And if you really want to, you know, accept them in your space and then support them, maybe then you could say, hey, if you ever want to do raw fish here, you know, here's this place where I get my raw fish from. That's great. Or here's this website that's taught me about making sushi because my spouse, he's a big sushi maker. We love to make sushi at home and poke bowls. And, you know, instead of putting other people down, I'd rather be like, that's great that you're, you're doing your best right now. And I hope that people do the same for me when they see things that I make that, you know, I'm, I'm still in the process of learning because I, I think that's the great thing about cooking. You never, even when you're an expert, you're always learning. You're never at your 100% done. There's always something more to do. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Emma. It has been great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for having me. You got questions? We got answers. And today's question comes from uh, the Icebreaker Deeper Talk deck that I happen to have. And the question is, what do you believe is the most damaging industry and why? Huh. There's a lot to pick from. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's hard to not think it's oil and gas people, but Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I feel like I think energy production that is, that is destructive directly to the earth is probably not so good, but I haven't thought about this really before in terms of like ranking them, you know? Yeah. And it's also, also how do you define destructive? Right. You know, cause my take on it, my answer to that is it's the, the diet and cosmetics industry, hmm. but that's, but I'm thinking of it in terms of damaging in terms of your self image and, and your acceptance of self. Because they're they're promoting an ideal appearance for humans that is unrealistic, and mm. it hurts people. And that's and and in those terms, I kept thinking that's that's the most damaging industry. But yeah, I mean, if you're going damaging as in terms of you know global warming in the planet, then then I you know yeah, then the the oil and gas industry has to be up there. Yeah. 
so the the thing about cosmetics and 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 diet and all of that i mean i i know that it that people it's how do i put it how do i put this like <laughs> the expectations of you have to be this image or you're not okay mm -hmm. is terrible mm -hmm. you know and at the same time i don't I mean, I, I think that attention, I, I, I'm not offended by attention to the body, I guess is what I mean. And there are certain, I mean, I, I like certain things about, not the industry, but of playing in the realm of fashion and wanting to, whatever. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess what, I'm, what, I'm, what am I trying to say? How do you separate? How do you separate the industry from? I think there are there are okay parts about it, and I think there are parts of it that hurt have hurt people and do hurt people. So is that a thing that can happen, or is it all negative? I don't know. I think that people should be allowed to present themselves however they like, but it feels. Fashion, fashion in the cosmetics and the diet industry put a lot of pressure on people to conform to certain ideals or looks, mm -hmm. you know, and if you don't conform to that, there are, there are serious consequences, you know, fat shaming is a thing, fat yeah. phobia is a thing. True. And I mean, and that affects all aspects of your life. You know, you get you get poorer healthcare outcomes. You get all kinds of you know terrible things, and and it also opens up the opportunity for a lot of charlatans and and damaging products to be put out on the market. You know. But I, yeah, I, but I, you know, going into the oil and gas though is, is even, but even the so-called green energy productions have negative on environmental impacts. I mean, they're not as bad as, right. as the, the coal, oil and gas, but, you know, I, I think, you know, some of the materials for, for like batteries, they have to mine that stuff, and then that's not good either. Yeah, you know, I think the lithium, lithium mines. Right, right. Yeah, I, I feel like I don't have enough expertise to comment on what the best <laughs> solutions would be, but I feel like we're moving in the right direction in terms of like doing more with solar, yeah, and wind, um, yeah. But I know that none of them are cost free. Right. You know, and, and they're certainly not at a place where we're just ready to like switch over and everything's going to be fine. Like we've got. No, we're not just, there yeah. yet. Yeah. But, but I think, yeah, that's probably, yeah, that was my answer. <laughs> and, I, and I would love, I wish I had the, the solution, but I, I do not. Yeah. Well, this was a, this was a heavy question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what it was from the heavy question deck. So, you know, <laughs> I like that deck. It's very good. So, uh, anyway, I am Robin Renee. 
And you can find me on Facebook at Robin Renee Fan or Instagram at Robin Renee Music and on Twitter at Spirit Rock Sexy. And if you're on Discord or travel in the subgenius world, you can <laughs> find me as Andrew Genius. And I'm Wendy Sheridan. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Wendy Cards, on Twitter at Wendy Designs, and on Etsy at Wendy Cards with a Z, and on Discord as Vox Woman with a V. <laughs> <laughs> and remember, you can always reach out to us on social media at Leftscape. Send us your questions and we might answer it on an upcoming show. All right. Thank you. And do we have our tagline yet? <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> see you next Wednesday. Thank you and see you I next will, I'll steal John Landis's. <laughs> that's his that's his catchphrase. Nice. <laughs> You've been listening to the Leftscape Podcast. Sound engineering by Wendy Sheridan. Show notes by Robin Renee. Fake sponsor messages by Ariel Sheridan. Web hosting by InMotion. Remote recording by Squadcast. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Leftscape. Become a patron of our show for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash Leftscape. Thanks for listening. <laughs>